Hello and welcome back to Practicing English. And it's Friday, so I'm reading another chapter from The Tudor Conspiracy. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber, and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels, or for those students who just want to improve their general English. For transcripts of these podcasts, please go to practicingenglish.com. And I'm reading chapter 13 today. And today is going to be a bit of a history lesson because Philip is going to explain to Isabel all about the times of Henry VIII. And I'm sure you have heard of him, the six wives of Henry VIII. So we're going to listen to what happened during that time and also about one of his daughters, Mary Tudor. But before we start, I'm going to ask you about a few words which I would like you to listen out for during the recording. And what you need to do is to listen for when they happen, who they happen to, in what context is the word used. The first word is appointment appointment, which is a formal arranged meeting, a formal arranged meeting. And the second word is descendant. The descendants are somebody's children and his or her children's children, etc. Now, the next word or words are a group of words which are emperor, empress, and empire. Now, an emperor is a ruler of an empire. So, for example, somebody like Napoleon Bonaparte was an emperor. And the female version, um, if it is a woman, then she is an empress. And empire, then, is a group of countries that are controlled by one ruler, by an emperor or an empress. The next word is heir, spelt H-E-I-R. And in this context, it is a son or daughter who will have the right to receive somebody's property and title when that person dies, an heir. And the last expression is to spill the beans, spill, S-P-I-L-L, -L, the beans, B-E-A-N-S. And this is a colloquial expression, which means to tell everything you know, usually something that has been a secret, to spill the beans. And I have one question for you. And the question is, according to Anglia Nostra, what happened to Mary I's son? I'll repeat that. According to Anglia Nostra, 
What happened to Mary the First's son? Okay, so let's begin with chapter 13 of The Tudor Conspiracy. The Tudor Conspiracy by M. A. Bilbrough. This recording is copyright. Chapter 13 Mary Tudor. Philip looked at his watch. It's 4 30 now. What time was that meeting? A quarter to six said Isabel. And how long will it take us to get back to Stratford? Twenty-five minutes maximum, said Isabel immediately. Philip looked at her in surprise. Uh, How do you know that? he asked. You're forgetting what Julie told us, replied Isabel. The buses take ten minutes to get to the centre and they leave every 15 minutes. Brilliant, said Philip. Shall we leave now, then? Let's wait a little, said Isabel. We don't want that woman seeing us in the town. She might cancel the meeting. Good thinking, said Philip. Isabel really was in command. So what shall we do now? he asked. Let's talk, said Isabel. Okay, what shall we talk about? asked Philip. You're forgetting, said Isabel. There's still a mystery here. I'm referring to Anglia Nostra. I saw your face when I mentioned that name. You know something, don't you? Yes, I do, said Philip. I'm not trying to keep secrets from you. I simply forgot to tell you, you know, with your ingenious action plan and everything. Very well, said Isabel. Spill the peas. Philip smiled. Well, first, the expression is, spill the beans. But he went on quickly. I'll tell you all I know, Isabel. Firstly, I think the whole thing needs to be put into a historical context. If I don't explain the context, it'll be difficult to understand. How's your knowledge of Tudor history? Well, said Isabel, I'm not an expert, but I studied the Tudors as background to my Shakespearean studies. Good, said Philip. So you'll find this quite easy to follow, then. Everything revolves around the story of Mary Tudor. That's Queen Mary I of England. Yes, interrupted Isabel. I thought it might. Mary Tudor was the only daughter of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. Catherine was Spanish, as you know. Yes, said Isabel. In Spanish, she is called Catalina de Aragon. She was the youngest daughter of Fernando II y Isabel I, or the Reyes Católicos, the Catholic monarchs. Correct, said Philip. 
In English, we often just call them Ferdinand and Isabella. It was a sad story, really. Catherine was married to the son of Henry VII, Arthur, Prince of Wales. It was a way for Ferdinand and Isabella to unite Spain and England against France. But Arthur was a weak man in very poor health. And a year after the marriage, he died. The marriage wasn't even consummated. Suddenly, Catherine was just the widow of Wales. She had no heir. So, relations between Spain and England were very much weakened. To cut a longer story short, she had to wait around until Arthur's younger brother, Henry, became king, King Henry VIII. Then it was agreed that Catherine would marry him. Henry VIII had six children, with Catherine, or maybe even more, but they all died as babies, or were born dead. There was one exception, and that was Mary, who survived. Now Henry was getting a bit fed up with Catherine. She hadn't given him a male heir, and also she was six years older than he was. That's right, said Isabel. I remember reading how Henry called Catalina his Spanish cow. He'd got tired of her. Today that Jane woman called me the same thing. It was strange. She must be obsessed with Tudor history. I think so too, said Philip. I've never seen a Spanish cow, but I'm sure you don't look at all like one, Philip joked. Thank you for the compliment, said Isabel, smiling. Anyway, so this is the bit of history that most people know about. Henry VIII started looking at the pretty girls in his court and, as we know, saw Anne Boleyn. He fell in love and then wanted to find a way to annul his marriage to Catherine. Henry claimed that somewhere in the Bible it says a man mustn't marry his brother's widow. So that meant he should never have married Catherine in the first place. The Pope at that time, Clement VII, didn't agree and refused to allow the annulment. Catherine also protested and said her marriage to Arthur had never been consummated. So it was as though it had never happened. It took six years, but eventually their marriage was annulled. In 1533, five months after he had married Anne Boleyn. The annulment didn't come from the Catholic Church, of course, but from Henry's own Archbishop of Canterbury. Henry broke with the Catholic faith and converted England into a Protestant state, or the Church of England, with Henry at its head. So, where did that leave their daughter, Mary? In a bad way, naturally. Her mother, Catherine, was confined in Kimbolton Castle and wasn't allowed to see her daughter. Catherine died just three years after the annulment, 
at the age of fifty. That's right, said Isabel sadly. I remember reading the words of Catalina about her husband just before she died. My eyes desire you above all things. She loved her husband. Henry the Eighth was a terrible man. Anyway, time goes by and Anne Boleyn didn't provide Henry with a male heir either, and she lost her head by execution three years later. But she did have a daughter with Henry, Elizabeth. Philip paused, trying to get his thoughts together. How am I doing for time? he asked Isabel. Well, answered Isabel, I'm enjoying myself, but you'll have to get to the point soon. We have an appointment with the devil. Right, Philip continued. The third wife of Henry VIII was Jane Seymour. Don't worry, I'm not going through all six wives. Jane Seymour gave Henry a son, and his name was Edward. So when Henry VIII died, his son was crowned Edward VI of England and Ireland in 1547. He was just nine years old, and he was the first monarch in England to be brought up as a Protestant. In 1553, King Edward became very ill, and it looked very likely he would die. That left Mary Tudor next in line to be queen. Mary, however, was profoundly Catholic, so Edward removed his half-sister from the line of succession. He didn't want a Catholic England again. He removed his other sister, Elizabeth Tudor, from the line of succession too, even though she was a Protestant, which seems ironic when we look back at history. Edward had a cousin, a Protestant cousin. Her name was Lady Jane Grey. Following the advice of his royal government, he chose Lady Jane to be queen. This turned out to be a mistake. When Edward died, there was a huge amount of support for Mary among Catholics and Protestants, who considered her the legitimate Queen of England. Many Protestants believed at first that Mary would continue their faith during her reign. As a result, Mary was declared Queen and Lady Jane Grey was locked up in the Tower of London. She was later beheaded. She reigned for just nine days, and she never wanted to be queen. She was only sixteen when she died. Isabel put her head in her hands. This is terrible, she said. You're making me depressed. Come on, Philip, get to the point. You're not giving a guided tour. Sorry. So, this is the important part. Mary was made queen, excluding the poor Lady Jane Grey. Oh, and another 12th century queen called Matilda, who only reigned for a few months. Mary I was the first reigning queen of England and Ireland. So, England became Catholic again, 
Mary executed a lot of Protestants during her reign, including the Archbishop of Canterbury. They were burnt at the stake. And this is why she is often called Bloody Mary. She was interested in uniting England with Spain and its empire, which would guarantee continuity of the Catholic faith in England. She contacted her cousin, the Emperor Charles V, and King of Spain, and it was agreed she would marry his son, Prince Philip. Many Protestant supporters in England hated the idea, and there was a massive rebellion against Mary. But she managed to control the rebellion and executed its leaders. Mary and Philip were married in July 1554 in Winchester Cathedral. The ceremony was held in Latin and French because Philip didn't speak any English. What a lot of people don't know was that Philip was now king of England. He was not a prince consort. He shared the reign with his wife. It's true that Mary had more power than he did, but Philip was a true king, a Spanish king of England. He wasn't popular here, and neither was Mary's Catholic reign. Now the mystery of this story surrounds Mary's pregnancies, or was she pregnant? In September 1554, Mary showed all the signs of pregnancy as her abdomen grew very large. This went on for several months, but no baby arrived. Philip left England the following year, and he became Philip II of Spain in 1556. In 1557, he returned to England, and Mary showed the same signs of pregnancy again. Her abdomen grew very large, but nothing happened. We think they were false pregnancies. Apparently, this can happen if a woman's desire to have a baby is very strong. It's psychological more than anything else. If Mary I had an heir, Philip would be regent, and their son or daughter would be monarch and continue the Catholic faith in England. Perhaps England would have become part of the Spanish Empire. The history of England could have been very different if Mary had had a child. Without an heir, Elizabeth, Mary's Protestant half-sister, would be queen. And that is what happened. Mary died, probably, of cancer in November of 1558. Philip paused and Isabel began to nod her head. We, the sons and daughters of our most gracious Queen Mary Tudor, she said thoughtfully. Exactly, said Philip. I think you're beginning to understand. You know I worked for Mr. Fanshawe, don't you? That was before you arrived in England, of course. Well, it was about two years ago now. I walked into the bookshop one morning, and there was nobody there. 
I saw a booklet on the table, and, out of curiosity, I went over and picked it up. It was called Anglia Nostra, which, of course, is Latin for Our England. It had a subtitle, too, the one you've just told me. I turned the pages of the booklet and read. It talked about a family. They claimed that Mary I did have a child in 1558, a little boy. But many people didn't want a continuation of Mary's Catholicism. So, some members of the royal court conspired to make the baby uh, disappear. It wasn't difficult to do. Most people, even Philip himself, thought it was just another false pregnancy. In this Anglia Nostra book, it said that at the last moment, somebody rescued the baby and took him to a wealthy Catholic family in England. The boy grew up, but few people knew who he really was. Anyway, he got married and had children. A secret organization called The Order was started. The descendants of Mary's son are around today and make up the order. The booklet didn't say how many members there are exactly and no names are mentioned, as far as I can remember. There is a leader, however, called the Master. It seems to me like some type of sect. I got the impression they believe that England should belong to one great empire, presumably with their version of Catholicism, ruled by an emperor, and this emperor or empress should be a descendant of Mary I. Isabel looked at her watch. I have some questions. There are still things I don't understand, but it's getting late. You can tell me on the bus. And that is the end of chapter 13 of The Tudor Conspiracy. Until next Friday, goodbye for now. 